Doom Patrol, Negative Man, Elastigirl, Robot Man. Someone wants the Doom Patrol reunited. Your every word and action is being broadcast across the planet. Now, Monsieur Mana! Well done, my Doom Patrol. Well done. It is too late for you, Calder. Your beloved patrol is doomed. Hello and welcome to Waiting for Doom, the world's greatest Doom Patrol related podcast where each episode we talk long and lovingly about our favourite superhero team, the mighty Doom Patrol. Hey everyone, I'm Paul. You can find me on Twitter at reading underscore Hicks, H-A-X, and you can also check out our website, waitingfordoom.com, and send us emails to waitingfordoom at gmail.com, and we're on Facebook, and all of our episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and podbean.com, and also waitingfordoom.com, as I said before. <laughs> yes, hello, I'm Mike. You can find me on Twitter at AvantGarve. You can also find on Twitter our sentient show account, who is Wilfred. He's at WFDPod. Hello, Wilfred. Hello, and this week on the show, we are going back to Volume five again hooray hooray but first paul how has your week in comics and life and stuff been very good thank you mike i have been reading comics that i've had a few queued up and i thought about time i got stuck into them and i read peter cannon thunderbolt oh wow okay this is by karen gillen from uh dynamite with art by casper wingard oh okay and i sort of need to explain what this is about you are familiar with the watchman yes yeah, are you familiar with the origins of the Watchmen that they were based on the Charlton characters? Yes. Yes. And DC owns a lot of the Charlton characters? Correct. Know? Yes. Well, there's one they don't own and that's Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and he is the uh he was the template that Alan Moore used for Ozymandias. Oh, okay. So this comic is um an awesome piss take of Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So it has um, analogues of all the Charlton characters or analogues of the Watchmen characters. And um, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt is investigating what um, another version of Peter Cannon Thunderbolt is up to in another uh, universe. And um, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And it uh, has fun with the form and uh, style of Watchmen. Uh, (laughs) And I really enjoyed it. It was five issues. It was um, very much a great time and really, you know, I mean, I think the world, we're ready for a fun take on Watchmen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, you know, playing with the tropes of Watchmen and the format of Watchmen particularly. And at one stage, they end up in a Eddie Campbell comic for an for a issue, which is really oh. weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you like Kieran Gillen and you um, you think Watchmen is taken too seriously, this is the comic for you. I'd check it out. And the art's fabulous. Cool. Yeah. So, what about you, Mike? Um, I finally followed your advice and read uh, Wonder Twins. <gasps> wow. I'm so proud of you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks for your advice. I should listen to you maybe a bit more often. But holy crap, that comic is so much fun. It, it, the writing, the art, everything about it is just so much fun. The, the way they defeat Mr. Mixelplixic. <laughs> I've mispronounced that. That was hilarious. That was so funny. The unfortunate nickname that Zan gets given at high school. Your Thunderlust. <laughs> oh, and and I was surprised to learn that it was only going to be a six issue series, and they've extended it now to twelve issues. I kind of wish it was an ongoing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's still time. They could just keep extending it forever. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, and, and I, I can, uh, look, I'm, I'm not gonna 
ran on your parade or m- move in on your territory, but I totally get the appreciation of Mark Russell and his work that oh. you have. Yeah, he's still yeah. yours. He's all yours still, you know. Yeah, and I just ordered the trade of the Lone Ranger uh, mini oh, video. okay. Yeah, which is, um, I know, he always does a bit of, you know, um, sort of searing observation on society uh, yes. in the midst of uh, his comedy. Mm. Um, yeah, it's I, I did en- Yeah, I did enjoy the commentary about the United States prison system <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they went on a school field trip. To, to that, um, so yeah, that was that was that was a really cool read. Uh, I also read some uh, Detective Comics and the first issue of Batman and the Outsiders, um, which was it was okay. Um, I don't know if you've read that. I have, yes. Did you find? Uh, I don't know how well versed you are in in X Men lore, but the final page in that had me thinking very much along the lines of Cable and a heavily armed warrior coming from the future to save someone. Uh, like, that would be Calibre with a K, yes. Well, yes, it was Calibre, but it reminded me of Cable from the X-Men. Yes, it, it did have um, some very X-Men vibes. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, the book, I don't know, it's like it, it didn't deliver what I was expecting, and I was, I think I was disappointed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed it for the most part, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot a, a bit more. Um, I'm still curious to, to see where it goes and what they do with it. I'll tell you what I am interested in. I don't know, you and I have spoken about this privately before, but I am going to check out the new Legion series. <gasps> well done, Mike. You, you've grown so much in the last week. I, I have, you know, probably because it was my birthday on Saturday, and, you know, I'm a whole year older now. So, you know, with age comes wisdom or some shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, uh, some people are probably aware that, yeah, I've never really gotten into the Legion before. I'm very curious about the DC Millennium uh, mini-event that Bendis is doing which has some character discovering they're immortal and basically travelling through time into the future and encountering the Legion as their Ooh. final destination spot. And that's apparently going to be the entry point for them into the current DC world, I guess, for want of a better explanation. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to give the Legion a shot. Um, I'm loving the, the art teasers that are coming out from Ryan Sook. So yeah, I might finally become a Legion fan. Ooh, well, this should be a really good jumping on point. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully it works for you. Let's let's find out. Good mm. luck to us all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we go and check out what's happening at the News Patrol News Desk? Mm. Yes. So, yes, we have a new Doom Patrol comic on the way, uh, Doom Patrol Weight of the Worlds, and uh, issue one will be out in, well, Mike will tell you, that's his job later, um, but we do have the solicitation copy for issue two, and it says uh, it's written by Gerard Way and Jeremy Lambert, with art by James Harvey, and a cover by Nick Derrington, and an unnamed artist doing the another, other, another cover that we haven't seen, um, and it's the text is, it is a time of great upheaval as Cliff transforms, Larry gives birth, Casey babysits, and the Doom Patrol becomes embroiled in the divorce proceedings of feuding cosmic entities and that would be out on august the 7th 2019 uh and i think it's a 399 comic and it's suggested for mature readers but i think we can read it 
<laughs> I'm going to anyway. I'm going to stick it to the man. I don't care, dude. I'm just going to flip the bird to everyone and read the heck out of it. Oh, I've missed that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I have too. <laughs> Sad. And we have the uh, solicitation copy for Doom Patrol, Way to the Worlds, number three, Ooh. which is written by Gerard Way and Jerry Lambert, art by, hold on to your hat, uh-huh. Evan Doc Shana. <gasps> Be still my beating heart. <laughs> you have Mark Russell, I'll take Doc. <laughs> cover by Nick Derrington, a variant cover by TBD. I don't know who that, that Terrence Bent Darby? No. <laughs> um, and it says, uh, special 287th anniversary issue. Someone in the city of Goliath is killing cops. Robot cops, that is. And it's up to the Doom Patrol detective agency to find out who. But their only clues are pages torn from a pulp paperback littering the streets of this neo-noir nightmare of a city. The secret of Goliath will die along with their hope of escape unless the team can band together once again, just like the old days. On sale of the 4th of September... Three ninety nine US thirty two pages, um, and it's suggested for mature readers. But will um, we read, read it, Paul? Uh, I'll read it if you will. Okay. <laughs> Make a blood pact. Yeah, sure. Pink. Yeah, yeah. So it's safe to say we can't tell anything from these solicitations because they're very weird. Mm, yeah, which is mm. kind of how we like it. Yeah, we'll have the first issue in our hot hands in uh, about three weeks. Mm, about that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's it for the news. Is that the sound of ticking that I hear? You know it is, Paul. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you know it is. It's the doom clock. Uh, the doom chronometer. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, yes, as we look upon the face of the mighty doom chron... <laughs> can't even say it. <laughs> doom chronometer or doom clock for us. Cool kids. Uh, it's been just over 31 weeks since we had a new Doom Patrol book in on the shelves and in our hot hands. That being issue 12 of volume 6 from Jared Way, Jeremy Lambert, Dan McDade, Tamara Bonvilla, Nick Derrington, Todd Klein, Molly Mahan and Mark Doyle. And that issue saw the Reynolds family fighting to free the Demonscape from Margoth the Demon Lord. And we discussed it back in episode 131. Issue 1 of volume 7 is at this stage scheduled for July 3rd of 2019. Uh, Doom Patrol Way to the Worlds from Jared Way, Jeremy Lambert and James Harvey will have the patrol travelling around the solar system facing off against the unusual and the bizarre including the fanatical fitness fiends of Planet Orbius and the Marathon Eternal as well as having Robot Man coming to terms with his new life as a human and reuniting with his mum. Two weeks to go, Paul. Ooh. What a time to be alive. Yes. What a time. Now, Paul, I have a question for you. <laughs> Are you ready to play the This Week in Doom Patrol History guessing game with thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. No, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Quick, no, call. <laughs> oh, shit, okay. Phew. All right, I am rolling the Doom die of eight sides. Of Ooh, you get eight. Oh, okay. Full house. Uh, is it issue six? No. <laughs> hey, hang on. Higher. <laughs> Is it actually? <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm sorry. No, no, that's why I said it. I wanted you to do that. Okay, higher. So, um, is it uh, is it num- a number greater than fifty? No, it is oh. between the numbers sixty and fifty. Oh, that's higher than fifty. What did I say? <laughs> I don't, you said 60 and 50. Sorry, I meant 6. 6. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I was testing you and you failed. <laughs> it's it's between issue numbers 60 and issue... Ah, uh, 6! <laughs> Look, it's been a long week and it's only Tuesday. It's between issue 6 and 50. Okay, okay is it, are we clear? Is it, we got that. Is it written by Grant Morrison? No. Oh, is it? Okay, so that's greater than... Okay. Is it a comic that you really enjoy? No. <laughs> okay, so it's a burn one. All right. <laughs> that was your fourth question. You are halfway. Yay. Okay. Um, did it have Rita and uh, Cliff kissing on the cover? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are the odds? If I remember correctly, that is issue... 13? Correct. Winner, winner, Correct. chicken dinner. Oh, what do I win, Mike? You win my undying love and gratitude and the rejoicing of our many fans. Oh, tell everyone about the comic. <sighs> well, going on sale for US $2.50 on June 22nd of 2005, with the cover date of August of that year, was issue 13 of Doom Patrol Volume 4. This story was titled Remembrance of Things Past and was brought to us by John Byrne, Terry Austin, Jared K. Fletcher, Alex Blayout, and Mike Carlin. This issue finally, Paul, finally gave us the origin story of the character find of 2005, that being Elihu the Confederate soldier ghost, mm. before, yeah, before having Cliff Steele's brain being sent back in time to its human body before his racing accident so that he could meet up with a very young Rita Farr and make out with her. And by young, I mean child. Mm. For shame, John Byrne, for shame. We covered this horrible issue way back in episode 128 from September of 2018, and you can find that episode on WaitingForDoom.com in the Doom dossier for Volume 4, so if you really want to, you can check that episode out for further details, and unless you have any more comments to make on that issue, Paul, that's pretty much it for the Doom Clock this week. I do have one more comment. They just announced a hardcover collection of that run. Yeah, they did, didn't they, Gus? Yeah, I'm wondering if that'll be one of those ones they announce and then cancel, because, um, you know, <laughs> I'm a Doom Patrol fan and I'm not buying it. Yeah, look, if if they cancel the Pollack one, because yeah. there was low interest and not enough numbers to warrant it, I would not be surprised if similar happened with, with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Look, don't, don't get us wrong, dear listener, both Paul and I, we love the Doom Patrol, except for this volume. We love the Doom Patrol more than John Byrne. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm done. Cool, let's move on. What is Council of Geeks? Well, despite the name, it's actually just one kind of pretentious guy on YouTube who rants at camera a lot and just goes on and on about things like Doctor Who and Marvel movies and Star Wars and... I meant, once the Council of Geeks podcast feed? Oh, that. Well, it kind of depends on when it is you're looking at it. What does that mean? Well, it's been a lot of things at a lot of different times. Originally, it was just longer versions of roundtable talks that uh, the guy who runs the thing used to have. It was the home of 90s comics retrial for a while. Oh, I liked that show. Yeah, but, you know, then he did Executioner's Song and it broke him, so he doesn't do that anymore, either. Oh. There was Go Home Hollywood, You're Drunk, 
winner of the Relatively Geeky Networks Award for Best New Podcast in 2017? Yep, that's the one. That's over too. His co-host had a kid and, well, he didn't bother ever trying to find somebody else. Oh. So what is it now? Well, at the moment, it is home to see a space cowboy, where he is just going back through Cowboy Bebop and uh, taking it one episode at a time, putting his thoughts up after not having seen the thing in about 15 years. Okay. Well, what will it be after he's done with that? Stick around, and maybe you'll find out what's next. Or catch up on the old stuff. It's still there. This is a very strange promotion. Yeah, well, he's a strange guy. Now it's time for everyone's favourite segment of the show, that being Doomsplaining, uh, where we cover specific issues of the Doom Patrol. This week we are going back to Doom Patrol Volume 5 and covering issues 6 and 7, and Paul is going to kick us off first with issue 6. Yes, so issue 6, it came out, well it had a cover date of March 2010, actually came out in January the 6th, 2010, it was a 3.99 comic because of the extra Metal Men stuff in it, mm-hmm. and it was written by Keith Giffen, with pencils by Matthew Clark, inks by John Livesay, lettered by Patrick Brousseau, coloured by Guy Major, and it uh, had a great cover by um, Matthew Clark, which showed the many iterations of Negative Man and Negative woman in one instance. So yes. You see the classic 60s negative man. You see the freaky John Byrne Gimp negative man. <laughs> you see the Rebus version. You see negative woman. And you see the current uh, Giffen Clark negative mm. man. Mm. Yes. So Larry, Larry, Larry Val. Um, yeah. So this story is entitled A Negative Incentive. And this is what happens in it. So it opens on Oolong Island. In his quarters, Larry sits still deep in thought. He thinks through a montage of his adventures with the Doom Patrol, then to the airplane accident where he first encountered the negative energy. The experimental K2F jet malfunctioned and took him higher than expected, then back down in a fiery crash. Completely bandaged in an Air Force hospital, Larry was first introduced to Niles Calder, the man he would come to call the Chief. Niles explained how the wrappings were treated to contain the radiation that Larry had absorbed. The energy being had actually emerged and saved the crew of the helicopter that crashed after collecting him from the crash site. So two crashes in one day. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Through the chief's machinations, Larry was released into his custody, but Larry was not keen and went his own way. This proved to be a path of depression and loneliness. Eventually, Larry became curious about his negative passenger and released him, feeling the exhilaration of the night flight, until the insistent tugging drew him back to his collapsed body. Seems there was a 60-second limit on his freedom. Despite his itinerant, depressed lifestyle, boxes of fresh bandages always arrived wherever he went. Sometimes they came with an invitation, Niles' proposal for Larry to wear a costume and fight crime. After more than a year, he finally accepted. And we see a montage of Larry's early adventures with Elastigirl, Rita Farr, and Robotman Cliff Steele, meeting Beast Boy, Gar Logan, and Steve Dayton, uh, Mento, your favourite, and fighting villains like the space tyrant Garguax and the intelligent gorilla Monsieur Mala and Dr. Time, <laughs> who is, um, yeah, we're all thinking about Dr. Time recently because of 52. Yeah. Mm. And uh, after a run of remarkable adventures, that ended when a submarine blew the team up off the coast of Maine. Mm. Mm. So Robot Man survived and became part of the Doom Patrol, the sequel, led by Irani Desai, Celsius, supposed wife of Niles. 
and also members Joshua Clay, Tempest, and Val Vostok, the negative woman. Eventually, the chief revealed that he had survived the destruction of the first team and uh, came back to the team. And then one day, Larry, living on in the negative energy that actually was living in Val, she, he abandoned her to return to his body or a new version of it. Niles revealed that he had created a clone body to lure him back. Uh, now Larry was carrying on as part of the new Doom Patrol and things got weird and Larry believed for a time that the negative energy was an independent entity. It's hard to say. Uh, Niles set him straight by explaining that he wasn't in a clone body after all, but rather he occupied the body of a brain-dead coma patient named Thomas Munro. A dash of Larry's DNA via blood samples brought Larry's spirit back to animate the vacant body. Larry realised he was actually the negative energy, not the flesh that housed it. So he ditched that husk and became Rebus, a fusion of man and woman, uh, to live in for a while. Eventually, he went back to being Larry in a new body the chief had left waiting for him, a patient named Philip Sloan. Cliff returned from his life with Danny and formed a new team, which Larry skipped. So that's volume three, the Arcudi run. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, the return of Rita was the lure he needed to become a member of the Doom Patrol again. The chief had engineered her return somehow. Rita's presence made the team his family. And then we caught up with how he ended up on Oolong Island in the current form. But uh, through all of this, Larry is denying the uh, elephant in the room, which is the fact that he is a negative being. He doesn't have a body anymore, and he is basically a passenger in these uh, comatose patients. So. Mm. Mm. And it ends with uh, Larry in the same pose that he started the comic in, deep in thought. Mm. Mm. So this is a bunch of retcons, isn't it? Yeah. A little bit creepy how um, he's, yeah, he is essentially the negative being just in dead bodies. Well, sorry, comatose bodies, but still. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting the TV show has sort of gone the other way and said that the uh, negative energy is actually a separate entity completely, which Mm. is um, consistent with most of what appeared in the comic history for Larry. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but... uh, yeah, in, uh, Keith Giffen sort of tried to align all the different uh, versions, and uh, he really smoothed over a lot of the rough edges on the burn one by just saying, hey, you know, he brought back <laughs> Rita and Larry rejoined, whereas Byrne was actually saying, this is a brand new version of the Doom Patrol redone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Infinite Crisis sort of ironed out that uh, continuity somehow. But um, yeah, I, I love the views of all the different iterations of the team. They've got lots of full-page spreads with all sort of montage bits and pieces, mm-hmm. etc. And there's about four of them, and they're really good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great... Uh, yeah, it's like a, a great recap history of, of the Patrol from, from Larry's perspective. There's some really cool art in there. And I like the fact that Sun Dollar Coffee <laughs> makes an appearance. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, thanks, 52. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, e- even when, um, you know, it's, it's the Arcudi... Who at version of Robot Man meeting up with Larry for coffee to try and talk him into the team? It's the, the Robot Man that looks like Robot Man from uh, Volume Three, which is a nice touch as well. So, yeah, it's it's some really cool, nice. Uh, it's a really nice. Um, it's like a history in one issue of, of the Doom Patrol. It's really cool, really well done. Yeah, Negative Man centered, but really covers the history of the entire Doom Patrol. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the first time I read this, I had never read the Pollock run and Ooh. the Burn run. So I was like, okay, oh, okay. Uh, these bodies that he's occupying, you know, uh, Thomas Munro and uh, whatever is Sloan. Um, I think, oh, did that come up somewhere? I just haven't read that. And I, I kind of assumed that because it seemed like a, you know, ah. a bit of a new thing. But no, this is the first time it's ever mentioned. So yeah. if uh, 
Larry is the negative energy, and if his body gets destroyed, he just goes and finds another body that the uh, chief has basically prepped with a bit of his DNA, mm. some, something compatible and uh, uninhabited. Yeah. Uh, as it were. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is interesting, um, considering that Larry was giving Cliff grief in a previous issue about all of Cliff's dis- disposed spare bodies that have broken down, you know, and he's dumping them out in a, in a pit in the backyard sort of thing. And Larry's kind of like inhabiting multiple bodies as well over time. That's yeah, yeah it's even creepier. Yeah, and at the end it talks about how um, you know they were all sort of when Nudge died, everyone was basically jealous because <laughs> uh, yeah, they. I mean, this version of the Doom Patrol, uh, Cliff, Larry, and Rita are really just always on the edge of existential horror as far as, you know, their existence is a horror if they think about it. And the only thing mm. that makes it tolerable is the fact that they're together because yeah. they're friends yeah. and they're, they're, they're family, in fact. Yeah, they're, they're, they're part family, part support group for each other. Yeah. So, hmm. And all yeah. are going through the same um, grappling with the loss of their humanity, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll find out more about Rita in an upcoming issue, but, uh, you know, they're all in the same boat. None of them are the humans they're meant to be. No, no. Yeah. So, yeah, what a great issue. Really well done. Yeah, it's an awesome one. Yeah. If if you ever want to... Basically, if you ever wanted the Doom Patrol history from the point of view of one of the members, look up this issue. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic read. Yeah. I'd love to own some of the art from this one, Matthew Clark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, some of those, um, the, the group shots th- throughout the different ages of the patrol yeah. history. Yeah. They're really cool. Yeah. We'll get Wilfred to post some of them on the site. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So there's another issue, isn't there, Mike? There is. And um, I'm going to talk to us all about Doom Patrol issue 7, volume 5, which had a cover date of April of 2010, but came out on February 3rd of that year for three ninety nine American, uh, due to the Metal Men backup feature. Uh, edited by Elizabeth V. Gerlaine, uh, written by Keith Giffen, penciled by Matthew Clark and Cliff Richards. Not the pop singer. Uh, uh, inked by John Livesay, letters by John J. Hill, colours by Guy Major, and this story is titled While You Were Out, and the cover of this one, it's 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 very cool. It's It's got the team kind of striking a pose uh in front of a burning background and um, a destroyed statue, and poor Cliff, he's uh, lost a, a leg and an arm. Take a drink. Uh, but I think this was the same art they used for, was it Volume 2 of the Trades? For this, yeah. For, for Volume 5? I'm pretty sure I, I it was. It might be the back cover of the trade or something. Mm. It, was something. Used, it was used somewhere as, as some sort of cover art, and that sounds really vague of me, but we'll find out later. Anyway, there's a, there's a few uh, scenes that jump around a bit in this, so I'm just going to cover them as best I can, uh, scene by scene. So we start off in the jungles of Buena Suerte, a place we've not visited since the first issue of this volume, and two men are on the run, followed by purple humanoid figures, which we soon realise are the mutant botfly monstrosities created by Dr. Amanda Beckett. As a horde of mutants viciously attack the two men, we realise this is all being watched on live camera feed by a man and a woman enjoying a drink on a deck some safe distance away. We learn that the man is Thayer Jost, billionaire powerhouse and former owner of the Doom Patrol, as we saw in Volume 3. And while not named, the conversation leads us to believe that the woman is indeed Dr. Beckett. 
Thayer reminds her that it was his efforts that secured her this quote-unquote sanctuary on Buena Certe, and Beckett realises that he's come to collect. The next scene is on Oolong Island, where construction crews begin work on repairing the infrastructure of the island after the Black Lantern attack depicted in issues 4 and 5, which we covered in episode 144 as part of JLMA this year. We are shown President of Oolong, Veronica Cowell, on a teleconference with her Chief of Security, Blanca, and Cowell makes it clear that Calder is to be placed under house arrest for failing to prevent the Lantern's attack. Blanca attempts to defend the patrol's efforts in taking care of the lanterns, but Kale is adamant and determined to deal with the chief personally. And speaking of the chief, we now see him recovering in Oolong Hospital and trying to get rid of Father Rocky Davis, who's come to see how he's coping with literally losing his legs. When Niles complains that Rocky's access to the patrol excluded him, Rocky jokes that he loves a challenge. A.A. Get it? because he was in the challenges of the under, And the chief plays along, saying his borrowed time would be spent better elsewhere. Oh, love a good pun. Uh, frustrated with the chief's unwillingness to discuss his near-death experience, Rocky storms off, but a nurse calls after him. A security detail have requested his presence in the isolation ward, as there's been an incident. Unsure as to why the guards have asked for him, the nurse explains it's due to his reputation for dealing with the unknown. Hey, it's still hey. going, that joke. Hey. And it was either him or a member of the science squad, and they can't afford to lose another scientist. The guards explain that they found her wandering along the beach, and it was lucky they saw her before the defence turrets kicked in. And as they open the door, we see sitting on the bed, looking battered, bruised, and bandaged, it's Crazy Jane. <gasps> The next scene is at Dayton Manor, where the Metamovers, a moving company specialising in moving metahuman resources, begin their latest job. Their leader is Oberon, former manager of Mr. Miracle, former right-hand man to Mactor Lord, and briefly boyfriend of JLI member Beatriz da Costa, a.k.a. Fire. He advises his colleagues, Furley, Joe and Harry, that most of the furniture is to stay, but there are warnings to go along with most of the things there to collect. Like a painting that's supposed to have eaten Paris, for instance. Uh, Oberon, Oberon eventually comes across a freestanding portal that's on the list, but it seems to be on the fritz. As Oberon leaves to get a space-time field modulator to move this portal, it slowly opens up and reveals a ruined city full of death and destruction. A newspaper blows past. The headline of this issue of the Danny Gazette reads, They're coming. And finally, we see a billboard for an impressive-looking structure, announcing this to be the future site of Fractal Oasis, a luxury condo and townhouse community from Pan-Dimensional Reality Incorporated. And in the corner of this poster is a logo badge for something called MSE. Mm. Mm. The next scene takes place in a roadside diner and petrol station in Lowry, Nevada. A police SWAT team waits outside, their leader on the phone with a dishevelled-looking man inside the diner. The cops seem to think that it's turning into a hostage situation, but the man attempts to explain that he just wants to be left alone. He hangs up and tells the staff and patrons to get out. And they run outside, just as an embiggened animal-vegetable-mineral man bursts through the roof, his dinosaur head roaring as a tentacle arm attacks the cops, and they open fire with their guns and a missile launcher. The missile bursts into Sven Larsen's crystallized arm, which he uses to crush a cop into the ground as he yells, I don't own this, damn you! But unfortunately, a burning piece of debris lands near one of the gas pumps, and the whole place bursts into flames. 
Watching all of this from a safe vantage point of a limousine is a woman in an elegant dress with porcelain white skin. She smirks slightly as a now naked and angry Larson walks towards her, and her skin seems to creak as she smiles. She hands him a phone, and again, it's Thayer Jost on the line, calling from his private jet this time. Thayer encourages Sven to get in the limo, unless he wants the rest of his life dogged by similar unfortunate events. Sven agrees, and Thayer hangs up and says, and then there were three. Thayer then also says, yes, I feel you scrabbling around there, Mr. Jost, but a deal is a deal. All dreams die hard and often morph into nightmares. Let's have no more emotional outbursts. I thought you were past that. Don't make me erase you. As much as I enjoy your company, you are quite expendable. And Thayer's reflection in the plane window shows us tears welling in his eyes. What's going on? Oh, it's so weird. I love it. The final scene of this issue takes place in Coast City, where Robot Man, Elastowoman, and Negative Man are recuperating in an army tent after the events of Blackest Night. A soldier advises them to get to the airstrip at 4 sharp if they want to ride home. And as he leaves, Larry starts to mock the soldier before Cliff tells him, don't start. Weirdly, Rita says, let him. I could use a bit of business as usual right now. Cliff is shocked. Listening to his brain farts is your definition of business as usual? What's your definition, she asks. Good question. (laughs) Larry asks if he's missed something, and Cliff tells him no more than usual. Larry jokes, business as usual? (laughs) Cliff starts trainer, but Larry cuts him off, saying, yeah, I know, me too. And that's (laughs) the end of that story. What did you think of issue seven, Paul? This one is packed, and it really moves everything forward for the team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so yeah, yeah, it, like it. This is the opening issue of the second trade, and it feels like um, a second trade as far as <laughs> everything that it covers. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So, so the return of Crazy Jane—that's the first big surprise. Yes, yes, that was. I remember reading this for the first time, and I was sort of. Like, hang on, is that, is that, wait, wait, Crazy Jane, that's, I've just read about her in the Morrison stuff. Oh my god, oh, it's all tied together, it's all connected, woohoo. I got very excited when I saw it was her. <laughs> but she, she looked, yeah, she looked like she's been in a bit of a scrape. Something's not quite right there. Yeah, she's very subdued, actually, compared to, I mean, particularly after you've been watching the TV show for a bit. She's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it had been TV show Jane, um, there would be a few expletives, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very different. Um, and I, I love seeing Oberon again. So, yeah, the um, he's for those of you who don't know, he is Mister Miracle's sidekick and uh, sort of friend slash manager. And mm. Yeah, he he was a mainstay of the Justice League International, the Boahoha Justice League. For those mm. of you familiar with that one, and yeah, it was very interesting to see that he's moved on in his life because I don't think he's been in a comic since like 1996 at this point so wow okay yeah quite a few years and he yeah he's started a a moving company for complex technological superhero type things look I have to say I I would read a series about the meta movers they would get mixed up with some interesting stuff surely that would be kind of cool to see (laughs) yeah I think so that would yeah, it's it's one of those. It's like who are those people who repair everything? Like, oh, uh, like damage control. Like damage control. It's one of those you know pretty interesting pure concepts that yeah. people do a lot with. Here's here's yeah. It's like here's something that's related to all the superhero shenanigans, but it's more of the mundane stuff. But it can still it could still be done in an interesting way and funny way. I would think. Mm. 
Yeah. So, yeah, interesting to see. Mm. And, um, yeah, Thayer Joss, something's going on with him. He's got this weird porcelain white woman. He's now managed to talk Sven Larsen. How good was it seeing Animal Vegetable Mineral Man come bursting out of that roof? That was awesome. (laughs) He's got him. He's got Amanda Beckett and her weird butterfly mutant monster things. He's, um, he's... Gathering force together for something. And yeah. Um, but something's not quite right upstairs, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, so Thea Joss, of course, from Volume 3, the uh, millionaire entrepreneur who mm-hmm. wanted to exploit the Doom Patrol. Um, and it appears that he's no longer uh, in control of his own body. No, no. Mm. It's, it's very weird and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just did some Googling and I'm completely wrong about Oberon. He has been seen since then, but um, I think around JLA classified, so 2005 with the, um, I can't believe it's not the Justice League. Right, okay. But apart from that, not very much appearances anyway. Yeah. And certainly not uh, moving on with his life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, look, to be honest, I, I was aware of Oberon, but... Uh, I wasn't sure if the Metamovers had appeared elsewhere in DC history or if it was just a thing that Giffen had written for this. But, but yeah, I uh, because I'm not so well-versed in JLI history, I, I had to do some research on Oberon as well. Like, I knew who he was and how he was sort of tied in with Mr. Miracle and, and some of the New God stuff and, and JLI, but, yeah. Um, yes, I haven't read much J. I haven't read any JLI, okay? There we go. <laughs> Other than the new 52 version, which was a bit... But um, there you go. That that happens. But yeah, I, I thought this was a, a fun issue. It, it's got so many different things happening all at once. And it, it's nice to see them still dealing with the aftermath of uh, The Blackest Night as well. Both in Coast City, where obviously the patrol have flown off to help all the other heroes. And, um, you know, Veronica Cow basically hitting the roof because obviously she had some sort of arrangement with the chief that, you know, okay, you guys can be a preemptive strike force protecting my island. Oh, look, you didn't protect us from the Black Lanterns that well, or to mm. my satisfaction. So um, there's going to be a bit of headbutting going on there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, a little bit of hint of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the, you know, pan-dimensional construction and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. A bit, a bit like yeah. the Vogon Constructor Fleet. <laughs> Yes, yes, let's hope they don't bring out the poetry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, I, yeah, seeing the, the, the Danny Gazette go flooding by, I was like, oh, what is going on? Um, but yeah, this this was just, both of these issues were just a lot of fun. Uh, one's like a, a, a really well-done history lesson and a, a look inside what goes on in Larry's head, and the other one was moving the story forward in, you know, the, the current setting at the time. So, yeah, both really well done issues. I I love the art in both. I, I love the pace of the story in, in issue seven. It's um just, it's darn good comics, Paul. That's what it is. Yeah. And it introduces a bucket load of stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I think we've doomsplained it. I think we have. Let's go. Okay. And now it's time for the Mailbag of Doom, where we are looking at the question of the week, which on the previous occasion that we asked the question of the week, it was, what's the greatest fight scene in comics? And that was uh, submitted by Sean Ross. Sean, um, you do too much. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Stop it. 
times. <laughs> so we heard from Andy Macon, and he said, check out Guy Gardner, Warrior Number 3, all action and not a single word of dialogue. Um, wow. I would check that out, but it's Guy Gardner Number 3. <laughs> Guy Gardner, Warrior Number 3. Mm, yeah. Mm. Interesting yeah. that it's a dialogue-free comic. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have read that, but I do not remember it. So, sorry, oh. Andy. Okay. Uh, John from Married with Comics podcast said, uh, although I would be hard-pressed not to pick this one, uh, Heroes vs. Monsters are different category. And he gave us an image of Thor fighting, it's either a dragon or it's Fin Fang Foom. I think it's Fin Fang Foom. Okay. Well, there you go. That, that would be a pretty colossal fight. That is, looks cool. I love Fing mm. Fang Foom. Mm. There's a comic where um, they have the Fing Fang Foom pheromone that summons <laughs> Fing Fang Foom. Oh, okay. That's, that was um, the X-23, All New Wolverine by Tom Taylor. Right. Okay. It's very funny. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we heard from Saul Bishop, and he said, The final fight with Darkseid at the end of the Great Darkness Saga, which had uh, Supergirl and Superman punching uh, Darkseid in the face. Right. Uh, I do remember that. That was very epic. Mm. Cool. Okay. Must admit I haven't read it. So. No. But I have read this next one, which was sent in by Longbox of Darkness, who said, Jesse Custer versus Jody in Preacher. Oh, yeah, I read that. That was a good fight scene. That was, <laughs> that was vicious and nasty. And, oh, so much butt kicking in that. But, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I've read that once, and I can't remember it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, John from Married with Comics, or it could be, yeah, it's John. Yep. He said uh, Shazam and showed pictures from Kingdom Come, where uh, Shazam is beating the crap out of Superman with lightning and fast moving. Oh, so he go, go Shazam and summon the lightning, then get out of its way so it wouldn't turn him into Billy, and it would hit Superman instead. Ouch! Ouch! Nasty. Yeah, hardcore. Yeah. Mm. Chris from BTO and Bat Books uh, said, Granted, one may not think of Batrock the Leaper, but I like to win Stan, let Jack have at it and have him do what he does best. Captain America vs. Batrock uh, in uh, Tales of Suspense 85. Uh, runners up being Superman vs. Muhammad Ali and Batman vs. Guy Gardner One Punch. Wow. Mm. That, that is a cool... He, he did show us some art from that um, Cap and Batrock fight. And yeah, it looks pretty cool. There's some really good um, impacts with all these lines and stuff. Yes, yes, yeah. very nice. Mm. Mm. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez said, uh, there's a scene in Issue of Suicide Squad where Duchess, Lashina, uh, beats Manticore to death with his own tail. That is awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, the, Manticore is like a, uh, he's a, a, he's got a giant scorpion tail and he's right. like a, like a centaur crossed with a, a lion crossed with a centipede sort of okay. thing. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and she rips off his tail, which has a massive spike with it, and beats him to death with it. Right. Okay. <laughs> she wins. <laughs> Duchess was, uh, she's like uh, a female Rambo, from, but she was actually from Apocalypse. Right. Okay. So superpowered, big guns. Yep. Uh, yep. High, high um, aggression. <laughs> <laughs> no, you shock me, sir. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Daly at RyanDaly01 chimed in with Daredevil181 and sent us some art from that. And it uh, looks like uh, Daredevil taking on Bullseye, and that looks like a pretty fierce fight there. Yeah, uh, quite climactic. That's after the death of Elektra. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, but, um, Daredevil was angry. <laughs> Again, you shock me, sir. <laughs> 
we heard from Clinton at Coffee and Comics blog, and he said, part of me really wants to say Wolverine and Lobo from Marvel vs. DC crossover, but since 90% of it takes place behind a bar, hmm, let's just go with the original Superman vs. Doomsday battle from Superman 75, or Ant-Man vs. Galactus in What If Volume 2, number 34. So I remember Superman vs. Doomsday and all those full panel, uh, full page, you know, fighting mm-hmm. scenes. And but I have not read What If Volume Two, but I am curious about it. Yeah, and, um, oh. yeah. <laughs> I, I can only imagine one way of that fight going, but um, happy to be proven wrong. Uh, Jeffrey Brown at Tosigo chimed in with Power Pack Twenty Seven, where Sabretooth got beaten by the Power Kids who came to the aid of an injured Wolverine. Okay, this Sabretooth is a clone created by Sinister. He was near, n- not nearly as deadly as the original Sabretooth who shows up later in the 90s, but their battle was intense. Wow, mm. I, I was not even aware that battle had even been fought because those poor kids. <laughs> even a clone of Sabretooth, my God. Mm. Um, that's pretty scary stuff. Mm. Oh, I hear the word clone, I go, Marvel. <laughs> Ah, uh, we heard from Dr. Ange, Dr. Ange70 on Twitter, and he said there can be only one answer. Well, we've got multiple answers here, so we've proven you wrong already. Um, he said <laughs> the absolutely brutal fight between Kid Miracle Man and Miracle Man, Miracle Woman, and the Warp Smiths in Miracle Man 15. Uh, nightmare fuel, just what a superhero fight would actually look like. And John Tottleman is a master. Yeah, this was a really bloodthirsty... I mean, I, I don't remember the fight being that epic, but I remember the... The um, collateral damage being uh, ridiculous. Oh, like, um, you know, there are gizzards strewn about. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we then heard from Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which is Sean Ross, uh, and he said, what an excellent question. Clearly it came from the keen mind of a handsome man. Uh, the greatest fight scene in comics has to be Spider-Man vs. Fire Lord. Spidey had to roll, like, five crits and use, like, 20 hero points to win that one. <laughs> okay. Huh. He's, he's mixing role-playing and Marvel comics. I've never read that, but I'm tempted to read that, I, okay. even though it's a Marvel comic. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we heard from Slangword Scott at uh, Agent of G-I-R-L, he's saying, and he said... Ben Grimm versus Doctor Doom in Fantastic Four 40. I read that. I don't remember it. <laughs> Probably something wrong with me that I don't remember that. Well, Fantastic Four 40, that's got to be a very old comic. Yeah, that sounds so. like Kirby. Um, yeah, yeah. Kirby so and Lee. And I've, probably, I've read it. You probably read it some time ago. So, yeah. Yeah, you know. But yeah, be, that, that sounds like an epic fight. So, yeah. Uh, Tim Price at Tim Price 17 said, my favourite fight scenes tend to be mismatches, so I have to say Avengers 275, Wasp and Ant-Man vs. Absorbing Man and Titania. Yeah, that sounds like a total mismatch. That doesn't sound good at all, for the good guys anyway. So, yeah, haven't read a lot of Marvel. Mm. Yeah, yeah uh, there's a lot of Marvel in this week's Marvel. Yeah, are Marvel better at fight scenes? Is that what we're learning tonight? Um, according to some people, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we heard from Karen from Between the Pages blog, uh, BTB blog on Twitter, and she said the Fantastic Four and Avengers versus the Hulk. No. The Hulk fighting with these friends? Never. Never. A hero fight in the Marvel Universe? No. You know, mm. would they put that sort of thing on the screen? No. Never. But they did. Uh, Canadian Geek 
at Craig R. McD. Hello, Craig. He said, Superman versus Mongol in Superman Annual number 11 for the man who has everything. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, haven't read it, but um, uh, yeah, Mongol's a big bad dude. So yeah. Yeah, it's Alan Moore and uh, I think it's Dave Gibbons, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Some pedigree on that one. Uh, We heard from Hokoff, um, and they said, he said, Deathstroke versus Batman in Deathstroke number seven from 1991. That Uh, fight looks pretty fierce. Yeah, lots of falling through walls and windows and stuff. Yeah. I have read that too. I actually own that, but I can't remember it. (laughs) Oh, dear. Right. My gosh, I've lived too long. Uh, (laughs) Uh. we heard from Justice's First Dawn at Classic JLA, and they said, worked hard to come up with a left-field choice, and the New Gods number eight came to me. Dan Turpin going up against a god in Calabac. Human Dan Turpin, the cop. Uh, the, yeah, the, he, I was going to say, Dan Turpin, the detective. He, yeah. Uh, wow, against Calabac. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Know, he's on Calabac, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Changing Shades, who is uh, featured on all of us podcasts apparently, said, A lot of mine were already taken, so I'm just going with my favourite signed comic, because Pietra... How do I... Uh, Peter. 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 Uh, as we say in Australia. Um, otherwise known as the X-Men Colossus. Uh, Poyter, uh deserved this beating he got in Uncanny X-Men 183. Um, I've no idea who he's fighting on the cover, but... Um, they appear to be a... Oh, that might even be Juggernaut in disguise, judging by the red armour he's got. He's got a big... He's got big hands. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, uh, get in touch and let us know if my assumption that that is Juggernaut is correct or not. Who that actually is? Uh, because, yeah, they've got their giant hand wrapped around Poiter's throat. And mm. it's uh, looking pretty fierce. Uh, we heard from Martin Gray, and it's another Spider-Man. No, it's Spider-Woman. And he said, Spider-Woman versus Necra by Mark Greenwald, Carmine Infantino, and Al Gordon. Uh, vicious and with a great commentary. It comes with a commentary? Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, uh, that does look like, a, like Spider-Woman's getting a knee to the face mm. in one of those panels. That's... um. Yeah, that looks pretty rough. Yeah, uh, Sergeant America at Sergeant America chimed in with uh, just some artwork from an issue of Sherilyn Cowboy, and um, the Sherilyn Cowboy is just taking these dudes apart. He's swinging his sword around, and there's blood, and his hands flying everywhere. Uh, it looks kind of cool. Yeah, I've got some Sherilyn Cowboy, and I have one which has um, it opens up to like an eight-page spread of just all these people getting uh, about to get beaten up. By him. <laughs> right. So it's pretty much non stop fight scenes, that comic, and nothing cool. but. So okay. it's really awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I've uh, Shaolin Cowboy, amazing art by Jeff Darrow, if you've not seen it. Mm. Uh, mm. If you like violence, that's the book for you. <laughs> uh, then we heard from uh, Sketch Cover Comic Art Cast, and they said the Mr. Fantastic versus Doom time fight. Okay. I Which guess time. So. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they were travelling through time and fighting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. We then heard from the Haunted Drive-In, who chimed in with Fantastic Four number 378. Johnny Storm's on trial for accidentally setting fire to NYU. Superpowered creeps show up. Huge brawl begins with loads of characters, all of them there for a logical reason. Exciting, fast-paced with a quippy Spider-Man. A great, great issue. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Uh, and Jason Keane at Jason Keane 17. He's like Tim Price 17. Uh, he, he said, uh, this fight was worth the build up and with a perfect ending. And he showed a fight over Captain America versus Batman. And if I can name that comment correctly, which I believe I can, I think it's JLA Avengers. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I read it, but I, I remember you talking quite excitedly about yeah. it on, on DCOCD. And they fight for a bit and then realise that they're evenly matched and they decide to stop and talk. Mm. Mm. These damn hero fights. Gosh. (laughs) Speaking of hero fights, we then heard from Gary, who is at Gene1E, and uh, they just replied with the word iconic and gave us some artwork from The Dark Knight Returns with uh, Batman and Superman punching the crap out of each other. Oh, that concept has a lot to answer for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we heard from Dale Sams, and uh, Dale said, Korvac versus the Avengers, and I like little moments like Spidey versus Wolverine, or Superboy versus Pulsar Stargrave, or Dreadstar versus the High Papal. Wow, mixed bag. Cool. Mm. A few cool. things there. Yeah. I read the Superboy Pulsar Grave, Stargrave one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Marcus V at ID Hayes uh, chimed in with Manhunter Volume 1, Number 4, Mark Shaw versus Dumas. I believe it's pronounced Dumas. Dumas, right. Mark <laughs> Shaw versus Dumas. <laughs> uh, Marcus continued then with another tweet saying, The Firestorm annual that Comixology still doesn't have, Number 5, features Ronnie in a battle with the JLI and Suicide Squad at the same time. Then he fights Posar. Then the US government drops a nuke on him, all while Professor Stein is dying of cancer. It's one of my favourites. Holy sh- goodness. That <laughs> that sounds like a very busy annual. It's amazing. It's a really good story. Wow. It's uh, sort of the culmination of a, you know, quite a, about nine mo- months worth of build-up to that. Okay. Yeah. Epic. Mm. Wow. Well done, Marcus. Well, nicely picked. Mm. Mm. Uh, we have from Kit Hartop at Evil Twin Fin, <laughs> and uh, they said Doctor Destiny versus Morpheus from Sandman Preludes and Nocturnes. Mm. Now that that wasn't that wasn't much of a fight, but it was a one way fight. I thought. <laughs> yeah, it was very one sided. Um, and I, if I recall correctly, there was a lot more talking in that than actual fisticuffs. But that's that. I I do like that addition to the mailbag. That's that's a cool one, yeah. Uh, Selling Out at Selling Out Show said, Love, love, love the Hulk and Thing throwdown in Hulk 350. A drowned and battered Thing is shocked to hear, then believe dead Hulk's voice, and Joe Fixit pounds his skull, replying, Anything is possible. What a read. Wow, okay. Should read that. Uh, Bob Rowland from uh, Gal works in, Walks Into a Comic Shop. He's not the Gal. Uh, at Nick City Brewing said, Marv fighting on the farm. So a Sin City uh, image. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's That one panel you showed alone, that looks yike, yike, yikes. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Okay, Paul. <laughs> What's yes. your favourite all-time fight scene in a comic? Well, I struggled with this because uh, I, I thought of the comic Lazarus because uh, Matthew Lark does some very realistic fight scenes in that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're choreographed, they're thought out, they're intelligent and, you know, they're believable in the yes. context of that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't think of 
one particular one that stood out more than anything else. So then I remembered um, Suicide Squad issue 13 from 1988, right. which is uh, Rick Flagg and Batman going at it. And basically the JLA squares off against the Suicide Squad. Everyone you know, pairs off and starts fighting, and they all sort of come to natural conclusions, except Batman and Rick Flagg won't stop. Uh, <laughs> and Rick Flagg busts the ear off Batman's cowl. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. A one-eared Batman at the end, and uh, Batman is so uh, pissed off at the end of this fight that he quits the JLA. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And Rick Flagg collapses and goes to hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's a big one. That's a really cool one. Wow. Okay. And I said JLA. It's actually JLI. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, look, wrong vowel. It happens, you know. <laughs> um, for my answers, I, I couldn't really think of one. Um there's in in comics. There's so many brilliant fight scenes, as we've seen in the other responses from our listeners. Um, my smart-ass snarky answer was going to say, you know, the greatest battle in comics was the one between Comic Skate and the SJWs, but that's really snarky. Um, but the sensible one would be, uh, I don't know, Batman versus anyone apart from Bane because Bane broke his back. Um, but I, I just love seeing Batman fight anyone, really. So. Take your pick. Batman will... Batman, Batman will... Well, other than what you just told me that what happens with Rick Flagg, I mean, come on. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Isn't he just like... A, okay, he's, he's a, a soldier and he's well-trained and, you know, he's, he's strong and all that, but come on. He's just a dude. Really? Come on. Mm. You know? But yeah, there's... I, I couldn't think of a single specific fight scene that stood out as my all-time favourite. So I'll I'll just go with the... The generic Batman fighting the bad dudes. I, I love seeing Batman fight. Okay, Sa- cool. Saving the day. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Now, we did have a comment on the website from uh, Tim Price. The uh, What do we say about him? He's... Charming but deceitful. Charming but deceitful, Tim Price. And he said, excellent job with the interview, Paul. Thank you, Tim. Um, lots of great questions and things. He's talking about the Ron Randall discussion that I had last mm. week when I interviewed Ron. Um, and he said, I think it was great to hear from Ron about his time on Volume 5 and fortuitous that it coincided with his Kickstarter campaign. He's doing really well at that. Um, mm. So you could let Ron plug away. I've seen the Doom Patrol artwork before on the Twitters, but they are just so good. Simply excellent stuff. Very nice of the Fighting Sutherlands to share. Uh, without... <laughs> Without posting spoilers to the comments, I'll say that I agree with you both on the ending of Doom Patrol Season 1. I didn't mind the final episode as much, but agree it wasn't that necessary. And hey, at least it gave narrator Mr. Nobody a chance for that great callback joke from the penultimate episode. Oh my! (laughs) (laughs) The uh, Doom Patrol coming together, I believe. Yes. Yes. Mm, Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for your comment on the website. Thanks, Tim. Uh, and we also got uh, a new iTunes review, uh, this time from uh, Alex Ramirez, who's in one of our favourite places in the world, Paul, Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you know why that's one of our favourite places on the world? I am familiar with it. Yeah. You know what happens in Charlotte, North Carolina? Yes, I do. It's a little thing called Heroes Con. Have you been to Heroes Con, Paul? <laughs> I have been to Heroes Con. Yes. <laughs> me too! <laughs> Yeah, and I'm Sorry. very sad that I wasn't there last weekend. Ah, uh, me too. <laughs> Sorry, we couldn't have an episode go by without mentioning Heroes Gone. Uh, anyway, uh, 
Alex uh, wrote to us saying, uh, love this show. Anyone who can cover a dreadful run like Burns' reboot during a time when his writing sucked, Wonder Woman run was horrid as well, and make it funny and entertaining deserves high praise. They also convinced me to never buy any issues from that run, Doom Patrol Volume 4, but now I want to look up Volume 3, the John Arcudi run, which sounds fun and bizarre as a Doom Patrol series should be. DC OCD is a great show, and I tend to agree with their opinions on various events. Highly recommend and hoping for the return of Jacques also a big fan of the TV show and Ezekiel the Doomsday Cockroach. A big Morrison fan myself. Need to review that run and finish my reread of that run. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you very much, Alex. That's very much appreciated. Uh, get in touch with us somehow and we will send you out one of the last few remaining copies of the Waiting for Doom postcard. We will, yes. Mm. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Mm. Awesome stuff. Yeah. So what's up next, Mike? Next time on the feed, uh, it will be another episode of DCOCD, in which Paul and some special guests will be looking at the countdown to Final Crisis. Oh. Mm. Yes. Yes, yes. That's a lot of fun. (laughs) It's not. And then after that, we'll be back with more of Volume 5 goodness for Doom Patrol on the Waiting for Doom after that. And what's the next question of the week? The next question of the week is, what is your favourite comic set in a historical context? So it's it's anything that's not set in the time that it was written. Okay. Or the future. You know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it could be historical, but, you know. I'm thinking back. So something that was set in ye olde days. Yes, but it could be, you know, the 70s. Okay. As long as it was not written in the 70s. Right, okay. Yes. A story, a comic that was set in a time well before the time in which it was published. A non-contemporary setting for the comic. Okay. So a comic that was published maybe in the year 2000, but it is set in the 1950s. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay, there we go. Right. I'm glad we cleared that up. Goodness me. Anyway, that's uh, that's us for another episode of Waiting for Doom. As always, you can get in touch with us via Twitter. Say hi to Wilfred at WFDPod. You can email us at waitingfordoom at gmail.com. You can check out the Waiting for Doom Facebook page. And make sure you stop by and visit our awesome site, waitingfordoom.com, where you can get show notes and all the episodes throughout our five-year history now. And you can leave comments there as well on any and all the episodes. And pics. There's pics. There's pictures. There's words. Images. Images. There's... JPEGs. And JPEGs. Yeah. There's uh, the Take a Drink page in honour of Cliff. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's lots of cool stuff on there. So, yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Thank you, Paul. Been thank you, Mike. Fun as always. Uh, thank you for joining us, listeners. Uh, as always, stay weird. Be good to each other. Don't be a crumb bum. And we will catch you again next time for more Waiting for Doom. Waiting for Doom.